moment, uh, I would like to just remind all of Okay, at this time, for our first message, it's going to be brought to us by Mark McGarvey, and it's entitled, I Am the Door. Yeah, well, good afternoon. It's a beautiful day here in sunny Tulsa, Oklahoma today. It's good to see. So as you can see by the title there, I've, uh, I gave a message about a year ago, almost a year ago to the, the week, November, early November last year, entitled, uh, I Am the Light of the World. Um, a few days early, the first week of November, uh, I didn't plan to do another one on this kind of uh, message, but the Spirit led me this way, so here I am. Like that message, I've entitled my split sermon today using Jesus' own words um, from the book of John, a part of the seven I am statements, as they're known. But before I mention those seven statements, it's important to look at why Jesus specifically uses the I am uh, at the start of each one of these particular announcements. The I am goes back to the book of Exodus when Jesus in his pre-existent form as the God of the Old Testament told Moses at the burning bush, I am that I am. If you want to look at that, uh, I didn't give it to Brian, but that's in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. Moses asked God at the burning bush when the people of Israel asked, who sent me uh, to them, what do I say uh, your name is? What do I tell them when they ask, who sent you? What authority sent you? And I am and I am that I am basically are English translations of YHWH or Yahweh as we say today. It's hard to get a good direct translation from the uh, original Hebrew to English. Um, as the translators found out 400 years ago when they were originally initially translating the I am uh, into the King James Bible. Um, so the closest they can get is I am, or I am that I am. Um, and I am basically means uh, the one who always exists, or the one who was is and always will be. And that then goes back to uh, John chapter 8, verse 58, when Jesus, talking to the Pharisees and the scribes and those in the area at the time, um, again confronted them with the situation, some questions. And Jesus baffled them, baffles them or astounds them by saying, um, before Abraham was, I am. And they couldn't believe that he was taking the Lord's name in vain in such such a way. His blasphemy, they couldn't believe it, and they, got, they picked up stones ready to stone him. But again, another situation where luckily he was able to disappear in the crowd and get away. So, but it was a, a magnificent way of Jesus showing his eternal pre-existence, um, a way of tying it all together, beautiful way, and a very authoritative way, I think, to say it. It couldn't have been said better. To show the people of Judah in the first century his divine background, 
a way of displaying his authority to speak for himself and for God the Father. And it also displayed his plan, which he would carry out to the very end. So that's a kind of a brief description, rundown of the I am and its meanings. Of course, you know, entire sermons will be given about that alone by itself. But that's a brief uh, rundown of that. So I'm just going to go through briefly here the, the, seven, uh, the seven instances where Jesus uses the I am. And all are recorded in the book of John. As with the whole book of John, um, he is continuously uh, relating Jesus' divinity, his power, and Christ made these I am statements as a way of telling people at the time, as I said before, and letting us see now that he was and is God. So if Brian could just pull up each one of these scriptures, I'll just say a brief bit about each one, and we'll move on. So the first one, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6, verse 35. I'm the bread of life. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to go to each one and read it. And I'll wait for those who are online or can't see the scripture, don't have it in front of them. John chapter 6, verse 35. Okay, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus Christ sustains us. Spiritually, we will never hunger or go thirsty. He truly nourishes us. Second one, I am the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. Verse 12, John chapter 8. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As Satan is the prince of darkness, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. If we follow him, we will never, never stumble. The third one is, I am the door of the sheep, which I'll talk about today. But briefly, uh, that is in John, that specific line itself is in John Chapter uh, 10, verse 7. Uh, actually, it is John chapter 10, verse 7. Yeah, I mean, verse 7. Then Jesus said to, the again, said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I'll go into that in more detail in a few, few moments. Uh, number 4. I am the good shepherd, which is in John chapter 10, just a few verses down after the good sheep part. Um, John chapter 10, verse 11, and then verses 14 through 16. But John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then verses 14 through 16. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so in breaking that down briefly, Christ laid down his life for us. He gave his life so that we may live. He didn't shirk his responsibility. He didn't run away when the time came for 
for his arrest and crucifixion, and he won't run away from us. The next I am statement is, I am the resurrection and the life, which is John chapter 10, uh, John chapter 11, verse 25. John 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. You believe this. I went into verse 26 there, but you get the gist of it there. Jesus has the power over life and death. In this instance, um, he had raised Lazarus to life after he'd been dead in his tomb for four days. One of the great miracles, probably the greatest miracle Jesus performed, I think. Uh, that's recorded for us. As he says, uh, as he says here, he will believe, if we believe and follow him, we will never die. When Christ returns, many, many of his people will be resurrected to eternal life. Then the sixth I am statement is found in John 14 and verse 6. John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here is John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way, the only access to God the Father. His word is the truth, and he offers life to those who otherwise would be held back or stopped by sin. And the seventh and final I am statement is in John chapter 15, verses 1 and verse 5. I am the true vine. Here's John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And for that one, I've got a quote here from the New King James Study Bible that says in these particular verses 1 and 5, and Jesus being the true vine. Uh, we go, quote, By attaching ourselves to Christ, we enable his life to flow in and through us. Then we cannot help but bear fruit that will honor the Father. In this metaphor, he is the gardener. And as Christ said here, Without him, we can do nothing. So that's a rundown of the seven I am statements, which I gave before in a previous message uh, a couple of years ago, the great I am. But that's just a rundown and a background to um, my message today. So let's go to, back to uh, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. John 10, verses 1 through 10. John 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration 
but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. So going back to verse 9 here, I am the door. He is the door, the way to eternal life. Simply put, the only way to eternal life. There's no way to eternal life through the Pope. Sorry, Catholics, but it's not the way, okay? There's no way to eternal life through Buddha or anyone else. And actually, I found a, a good quote when I was researching this message. Um, I'm going to read from it real quick. Basically, the background to the sheep and this situation in the ancient times. This is from a, uh, gotquestions.org about the eye and the door and about the sheep. Quote, to get a clear picture of Jesus' meaning in this statement, it is helpful to understand a little of that ancient culture, especially of sheep and shepherding. Of all domesticated animals, sheep are the most helpless. Sheep will spend their entire day grazing, grazing, wandering from place to place, never looking up. As a result, they often become lost. But sheep have no homing instinct like other animals do. Um, they are totally incapable of finding their way to their sheepfold, even when it's in plain sight. And that's, that's something I never knew, but that's, that's kind of crazy. By nature, sheep are followers. If the lead sheep steps off a cliff, the others will follow. They just follow. Additionally, sheep are easily susceptible to injury, injuries and are utterly helpless against predators. If a wolf enters a pen, they won't defend themselves. They won't try to run away or spread out. Instead, they huddle together and are easily slaughtered. So, it's sad to think about it, but they are a totally helpless animal. No homing instinct. They will follow the lead sheep or the shepherd. But it, it's, um, I didn't know a couple of those things until I looked it up. But it's interesting here, as, again, as always, as Jesus used these metaphors of him already at this point living 30-something years on earth and speaking from experience himself and situations, trying to tie it into a message and also something that the people around him could understand and, and uh, grasp, could something that would maybe happen in their life, they could understand. Um, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, the voice, the tone. An imitator could try and do that same voice of that specific shepherd, but the sheep would know the difference. They're smart enough to know that. We know Jesus' voice, don't we? In the sense that we know his words. They're right here in the Bible. We know God's truth, 
And although there are many well-meaning Christians out there, they haven't heard the shepherd's voice on some issue. Like the Sabbath, the holy days, heaven. And if, if uh, Brian pulls up John 3.13, for example, on heaven, no one has ascended to, uh, to um, heaven except the Son. No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. But the last couple of thousand years, that has been, um, or the last few hundred years, in fact, it's been taken over by many Christians who believe that we go to heaven when we die, and that's that, and there's no scripture to back that up. There really isn't, unless they've made one up in some other translation. No one has ascended to, the, to heaven except the Son, and nobody ever will. That's, that, that's the way it is. And they don't, they don't want to believe that. They, they will try and pull out other scriptures to try and stumble you in that situation, but the facts are there. It's not there. It, it's not going to happen. And they'll argue all day long until they're blue in the face about it, but that's just the way it is. So we know his voice. We understand his truth. As our shepherd, we know and understand his truth. So, to tie this back into Christ's I am statement here in this case that we read about and the other instances, it's, all, it's another way he displays, he displays or explains his divinity. To borrow a phrase from a well-known uh, radio talk show host, Intelligence Guided by Experience, when we look at the evidence, how can we not say the God of the Old Testament was Jesus Christ? Um, from what we read, what we understand, Jesus Christ was who he said he was, the living Son of God. His teachings, his miracles, his life lived out according to the ancient Old Testament prophecies of what would happen to the Messiah, what the Messiah would do and fulfill, Jesus, uh, Jesus filled all the boxes, crossed the T's, dotted the I's. He was both the God of the Old Testament, but he also fulfilled all the prophecies of being the Messiah that the Jews had been longing for for thousands of years before his arrival. So in this I Am statement, and all the other I Am statements, Jesus explains both his divinity and how he saves us, because he has done and completed the hard part, hasn't he? He suffered for us and was crucified for us. He did that part, the hard part. We must never forget that. The part we play is repent and believe in him. Believe that he is our savior. He did the crucifixion. He died. He was dead three days and three nights. And he rose again. He did the, the impossible part, the incredible part, the unbelievable part, the hard part. He suffered the beatings, the, the whippings, the loss of blood, the absolute incredible suffering he went through is, is inexplicable and hard for us to understand because the likes of public uh, executions don't happen these days, thank goodness. But he did that. He was nailed to a tree for several hours, lay there, uh, died of asphyxiation, which is the usual cause of death for a crucifixion people. Again, um, 
fulfilling another prophecy of the Old Testament, though his legs weren't broken like the other two thieves that were each side of him, he was already dead. They did pierce his, uh, his side with a spear, but uh, <clears throat> the Old Testament prophecy where not a bone of the lamb would be broken was fulfilled there. So even to the end, he was uh, fulfilling these prophecies of the Messiah. So, and you know, I, I can explain it in a way like, uh, a way I, I thought about this was, you can talk about you standing there, you're in one room, and Jesus is standing in that doorway, right there, in all his brilliant beautifulness. You are here now in this room, in your current life, or your past life. But through him, and beyond him, is eternity and eternal life. So the second part of verse 9, I'm going to read that again. Um, and we'll go in, out, and find pasture. So through Christ, we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which, when we are transformed by it, we can then pasture so much better on the spiritual food that he provides for us. He opens our minds to the mysteries, as Paul calls it, the mysteries, his wonders, his promise of endless grace by going under the waters of baptism. We gain all that. As a, the Colton Dixon song from a couple of years ago, some say, some of you may know it, um, all to you I surrender, to you my blessed Savior. I love that line in that song. I love the song itself, but that, that line, all to you I surrender, to you my blessed Savior. So tying all this in, let's go to First um, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Look at another scripture here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Therefore, I exhort, I exhort first, all of that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in a godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So God desires everyone to come to the truth. Or as Paul says here in verse 4, the knowledge of the truth. God desires everyone on the planet, everyone on earth, to come to the truth, or at least the knowledge of the truth. And so we do our part here in this church with our various outreaches that we do through the church. Many people are touched and moved by our efforts. And I hope they will be for many more years to come. And I hope that we can continue to do that as a church. But we can also do our part in our daily lives, can't we, ourselves? And interactions with others. You know, we can shine our light. Be an example of a good and true Christian. But you know what the, what the greatest promise is 
in Christ's I am statements, all seven statements. It's the promise of eternal life, isn't it? To live forever with God the Father and His Son in their kingdom. That's the promise of all seven of the I am statements. Eternal life and beyond. Jesus being that door, that access, that access to all the beauty and wonder beyond is the ultimate promise. The kingdom of God and beyond. The millennium and then all eternity for all time. There'll never be an end to it. It'll be for all time, which we cannot grasp and understand in our, our human minds now. But God has existed for all time, and we will live for all time. An incredible future to think about. Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life, and what's more, he's the only way to God the Father. Through him, we can converse with God the Father. No human being has ever seen the Father, you must remember. All the visions of God in the Old Testament was Jesus. No human being has ever seen the Father. But with Christ as our intercessor, we can talk, we can pray to the Almighty and Eternal One Himself. Get down on our knees, pray to the Father, to Jesus Christ, our intercessor. An incredible, incredible privilege, an incredible uh, situation that Jesus can do for us. So I'm going to go back to John chapter 10. And back to uh, John 10 and verse 10 again. Okay, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Satan and the world try to destroy us. They will never succeed. They may have temporary wins here and there, but we know how the story ends, don't we? Because as Christ says here, he has come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. With Christ living on us, living in us, sorry, we will have a better quality of life. But we also have that hope, that belief in what lies ahead. Jesus Christ returning to earth for us. Eternal life. An endless existence living in peace. Living without any fears or worries. An endless existence as part of the God family.